podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. Welcome to uh, the Flappy Fan Podcast. Pod 411, the first pod of 2022. So happy new year to all our listeners. We hope you had a good Christmas and a good new, that bit in between Christmas and New Year's when no one knows what day it is as well. And hope you're feeling fresh, fresh, fresh and recovered and just feeling 22, as the kids have been saying online the last few days. Uh, I'm Jim Daly. Joining me, Joe Walker. Hello to you. Happy New Year. Hello, JD. Happy New Year. Thank well, you very much. Uh, how are you doing? You were just telling us off air about another one of Joe's late night stories. Yeah, you, you, I can't be, I've got to stop being friends with DJs now. Just when I'm, <laughs> I'm at the age where I want to sort of tone it down and, and stop <laughs> going, but they're all just hitting that point now of like, no, we're doing New Year's Eve parties and we're, we're playing at 4 a.m. And I, I, I can't, I don't want to do it. I still end up doing it. And then I regret doing it. So I, 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 this, at some point, I have, it's on me rather than anyone else. Yeah, I don't want to do it. I end up doing it. I regret doing it. Also sounds like my Palace supporting career for the last 30 years as well. That too. So that I too. can very much understand. Someone I can't imagine has ever been up at 4am partying, or they might surprise me, is uh, Jack Pierce. Jack, are you a 4am partier? Well, I may have done in the past, um, but living the suburban seaside life now, not, not so much. Not so much. Until you I see James you, I, Endicott, of course. <laughs> still still haven't had a chance to have that kind of seaside pint with him yet i oh, will do will do um I'll, I'll leave my brother and, and jordan to, to enjoy <laughs> yeah, such, jordan, uh, yeah. such fine company um but i'll tell you I, I can compare my new year's eve this is how exciting my new year's eve was that i started my new year's eve by watching a documentary about walter smith the famous scottish football manager which was on last week and within it was a clip of scotland's trip to moldova of which the same trip that Dom Firefield mentioned well, last week. So there we yeah. go. There oh we go. My <laughs> um, so it happened to be that Scotland uh, had a worse result than Dom's press team did um, in that they actually lost to Moldova. And that was the last game of Bertie Votes' regime before Walter Smith took over. So there you go. So not quite the, the same uh, nightclub scene that Joe was experiencing, but my own sort of, you know, exciting New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, your own sort of nightclub. Um, fantastic. Thanks for coming full circle on that Moldova thing. That's the great. narrative I like to bring. I like to complete <laughs> yeah. the story. You're the only one of us that brings any narrative to the podcast, but we appreciate it, Joe. And completing the J team this week, it's Jesse Boyce. Jesse, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good to see you all. Thanks for uh, inviting me on, Jim. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to, to sort of kick off some Palace chat after what's been a dry January so far, hasn't it? So uh, hoping that the Millwall and Brighton games can offer up uh, a nice kind of start to the year for Palace and good, good to kind of chew it over with you guys. 
Yeah, I can't imagine the crowd to be dry at those games, but uh, I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> hey, sure, least, Jet's they, going, so you can... You can at at least there will be crowds. At least there will be crowds for those games. I think at some point in December, yeah. we probably all feared that there wouldn't be any of us going to those two games. So, yeah, fingers crossed that, that we will be able to still go. Yeah, very true, very true. We'll be previewing the Millwall game, of course, at the end of this pod. Before we do that, we're going to talk about Palace's 3-2 defeat, New Year's Day defeat to West Ham. Before we even do that, we're going to do the first drum roll 2022 for a random patron, please. <laughs> Beautiful. It's Mr. Brian Hipkin. Hello, Brian. Brian. Hello, Brian. Thank you for joining the patron. Uh, And you can get all the rewards like Brian does, including post-match podcasts, patron-only merchandise, access to the patron-only Discord club, and much more at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. I think we should crack on with... Well, first first game of 2022. Uh, Joe, an exciting game, keeping with Palace this season, an exciting game. And we'll, we'll talk more in part two with our Athletic article about this Palace resurgence of constantly coming from behind. Um, but ultimately a disappointing game. But did, did, I, I, as with most Palace games this season, and I said this on the post-match pod, West Ham are a very, very good team. And I, I put them in sort of top six territory, to be totally honest, the way they've been performing this season and, and last season. Um, so I actually wasn't expecting to win and a draw would have been fantastic. I actually came away quite entertained from this game, but were you more on the frustrated or the entertained side of things? Um, I, I was heartened by the late sort of um, almost recovery, if you like. The, the, the fact that we... Because at halftime, once the third goal went in, I thought, oh, there was hope at two, but I think heads might... There's a danger of heads dropping now and the crowd turning and, you know, it could just... It, who knows what could happen from here, especially if we overcommit and even more porous at the back. But that didn't really happen. I don't know how much that's to do with West Ham sitting back and being happy with their three points, but we, we, I think we got five, 10 minute period aside, we have played very, very well. And I'm glad that it was a much fairer scoreline. I still think we didn't take enough of our chances. And there is this habit developing of two goals conceded in quick succession yeah. Within a month, you've got Spurs, Southampton, and West Ham. Yeah, hit both with the with a sort of double strike, if you like, within five minutes. Um, but yes, given what we were speaking about in the pod before the game, we knew there'd be goals. We knew it'd be exciting. It always is against them. It's probably our toughest home test, Spurs aside. But considering we had players missing as well, they did two at the back, but we had two of our sort of long you know most regular midfielders playing who've been the most impressive and and Zaha you throw into that as well we still could have we still did enough to come away with something in that game yeah I think um well let's go on Jack then to I guess one of the main talking points which is obviously uh the Luca handball penalty and as Joe says the the third goal then that really killed the game off for half time although to be honest with this Palace team you you wouldn't Bet against them coming back from three goals down, to be honest, the way they play second half at the moment. But that that Luca incident and Luca in general is a big talking point for Palestine at the moment. Firstly, Jack, I mean, I thought it was a penalty. Actually, to be honest, watching it live, I thought it was outside the box. But once you saw the replays, it looked like a pen. Uh, was it a pen for you? And where does it leave you with, <laughs> with Luca, who I know comes up a lot on this podcast? It's definitely a penalty for me. Um, and with VAR, that's what VAR is there to do, to ensure that solid penalties are given as penalties. Um, he has just really badly misjudged the flight of the ball and panicked and outstretched part of his body, which um, a more confident Luca wouldn't have needed to use. That's the way I kind of see that one. The timing for him was terrible. The timing for us was terrible. Yeah. Um, it, it really couldn't happen at a worse time for him. 
literally 30 seconds before that, I just felt if we got to half-time, it, it felt like the Leicester game in my mind, that we were good enough to actually, you know, keep in touch with them and, and, and hopefully grab something back from it. There is that mental kind of block of three goals is, is, is harder to overcome than two, which obviously is, is true, but we, we very nearly did um, get a third. And if Mateta's bicycle kick had gone in, oh. I probably wouldn't have been available for this podcast. <laughs> um, to be honest, I don't know where I'd be. That was, um, that was quite the moment. And maybe we'll touch on, on Jean-Philippe a bit more, but um yeah, I just felt Luca didn't have a particularly good first half, actually. I thought our midfield, while playing some nice balls into the front three, I felt, oh, in terms of shape, it was the least disciplined midfield display of the season so far for me. Maybe barring the first two away games of, of um, Chelsea and, and Liverpool, but given that we didn't have all of our squad available at that point, it's probably tough to, to judge those two games. But I didn't feel we had the shape that we've we've offered in the last... Um, three or four months on, on Saturday and and the second goal with, with Luca being caught um, kind of on the halfway line by the dugouts trying to press high up the pitch without the organisation of Hughes dropping in or Schlupp playing deeper left a massive hole for Declan Rice to run into who I thought was the best player on the pitch yeah. um, and, and he found Lanzini and Lanzini has the magic in his boots to do what he did. What we have to say is that up until lunchtime, Coyote's playing and Luca's not. Yeah. And it's a um, a positive lateral flow test, which has thrown everything up in the air. Um, and given how well I felt the midfield played against Norwich, albeit a, a very average, poor Norwich side, Vieira would have been right to stick with that three, Have you know, uh, a few days after they played so well against Norwich. So, you know, Coyote was scheduled to play. He obviously couldn't play and Lucas ran in. So Lucas, to be fair to him, coming in probably colder than he'd like. Um, and yeah, I just don't know. He's just, the confidence isn't there for him. I think he's still trying to find moments in games to increase that confidence. And whether it's a, you know, thundering tackle or a fantastic pass of 40 yards or a shot or, a you know, just anything to kind of get him going and get the fans back on side. It's just not happening for him. Even that, you could even argue that the control, which leads to the penalty, is something that he probably shouldn't try. But he's trying to do a, a clever piece of of anything to get himself going. I just, I think he's probably in a bit of a, a bad place himself at the moment. I mean, nobody knows a player's playing badly more than the player himself. And I just, I feel for him, but I don't really want to see him in the starting eleven anytime soon. But I know that we are going to see him in the starting eleven given the the absences that we've got at the moment, particularly with Czech going off to. Afcon, so yeah, that that's that's where I'm at with Luca. It's it's difficult, Jesse, isn't it? Because as Jack says, preparation was thrown at the last minute, and Kiate would have been in there. But whatever sort of Luca does, he has become that player really in the team for a lot of Palace fans. That is the excuse or the scope, the scapegoat. Like I I I walked out of the ground, and I didn't have my headphones on, and I was catching bits of people's conversations, and they were all talking about Luca. All negatively, saying, why is he playing him? I can't believe he's playing. Well, obviously, as you know, Jack pointed out, he sort of had to play him. He had no choice. But he's become the guy that really can do sort of no right. And all our questions this week are essentially about Luca's future. Safe hand 71 says, time for Luca to give up the armband. Ander says, are we seeing the end of Luca's Palace career? So it feels like whatever he does, he can't really get onto a winner, even though, as Jack says, he's probably going to feature more often because he has to. I feel like he's such a confidence player when he's not really, when things aren't going for him, the things seem to get worse before yeah. they get, before they get better. And um, 
I was sitting right near the tunnel. Do you remember there was a free kick where it looked like Hughes was going to take it, but Luca took it off him. You know, it was like he could see he was desperate to try and affect the game. Yeah. He had a couple of bad shots, a bad free kick and a bad shot in the first half. The guy sitting behind me, it was almost like he was reading Palace Twitter in my ear roll. <laughs> he just kept saying, oh, <laughs> it was like, oh, every time, every time Benteke or Luca did something, he was like, get him off, take him off. It was like 10 minutes into the game. And I was like, <laughs> It was, you know, it was just a bit, bit, bit stressful. He, he, Luca just had a horror show, didn't he? And it was, it was really hard to watch. And just after having such a sort of slack first half, to then put the cherry on top with that penalty was just like the worst forty-five minutes he's probably ever had. Um, I thought he was obviously the penalty was just, you know, the, as you say, the ball of the bounce, the, the bounce of the ball was just. Really unfortunate, but you know his arms. He should just should just know better. He's an experienced player. Shouldn't get himself in that sort of sticky mess. Um, and I just I think the Lanzini goal is interesting because he was with the first goal from free in open play. He was completely unmarked on the edge of the box. And uh, to Jack's point, I guess the midfield was a bit slack. And Schluppy was ball watching, sort of like jogging alongside. Rice, and then worse than that, Luca was just jogging back, and Lanzini's just gone completely unmarked and just one touch and into the back of the net. He just looked like he was completely out of sorts. I know he's had a stop start 12 months and he's had some personal problems and he's had COVID once or twice. You know, he's, he's just been really stop start for him, but you know, you saw part of you did feel he wasn't going to come out second half, like some managers would, would haul him off after that. Uh, he looked like Vieira maybe just thought that's going to look bad. I'll give him 15 minutes. And if nothing happens, then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take him off then. So that seemed to be what happened in the end there. But, you know, I think it was had all the hallmarks of a great performance, all that aside. Like you said, you sort of felt good after what we'd seen. It was a bit like the Leicester game where we were two or three down and came back into contention to take something. You know, Schluppy hit the post. Um, Gaeta's triple save. Edward hit the post. Um, I thought Bowen, who's been such a threat in a lot of games I've seen for West Ham this year, was complete kept really quiet by Mitchell. Yeah. So there was a lot to take from it. It felt good. You know, the team got a great reception as they walked off. And, I, you know, they probably know that they were in that game to the end. And Antonio's interview said a lot, didn't it? So a lot to feel good about. And I think we were, you know, we've more than matched West Ham in both games. And as you say, they are kind of top 16. I think what edged it for them is their experience, you know, I think Gay went really went into his shell for me after he let Antonio get. He did look really surprised to see Antonio get his toe to that ball for the first goal, and he just sort of went within himself a little bit. So I think their experience showed. You know, but that's what you're going to get with our players have five, have five years less than a lot of the a lot of theirs position to position. So I don't think it was a huge shock what happened, but we were we were we kept we kept them you know their backs to the wall i think they were really pleased with with those three points and it could have been one for them yeah as you said from post match interviews of Moyes as well saying a similar thing so i think they uh, i think they felt like it was a hard fought victory and sellers is becoming actually fortress sellers this season where you know it is difficult for teams to get points so that is obviously an improvement and i think on just on luca i think we're going to have to accept that he is going to be in the team in the next few weeks with afcon and whatever so we just have to we almost have to sort of put the game behind us and just give him the support that we know he can thrive on and even if this is the last season we see luca i think we just have to sort of get behind him as much as possible we've seen Luca at his peak over the last four or five years and he can be brilliant and maybe this is a different a different luca but we, JD, we I do think the I, I do think the captaincy issue is a bit of a red herring, though, because 
he's club captain, but I don't know if that necessarily means that Vieira is treating him with any more respect or a higher level of grade than he is. I think Vieira knows what, what Luca is at the moment and he's going to play him when he, when he needs to. But um, this idea that taking the captaincy off him is going to change anything or I don't know if that would do any good. I don't know if giving, I don't know who you give the armband to, Jimmy Mack on a permanent basis. I mean, it's likely that between now and the end of the season, McArthur will captain Palace more than Luca will. That's the that's the truth, and I think taking the armband off a player who we're probably going to need to rely on for at least the next five to six weeks, I I really don't think that would be a good idea. I think it just could could annoy a player that we're going to have to include, and I I, I just think the captaincy is often overblown. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not just by Palace fans, I think it's a thing thing across. But then you you look at the other team, and you know you've got Mark Noble, Mister West Ham, doing his thing, and. Moyes is handling that situation really, really well in that they are basically managing a handover process of captaincy from from Noble to Declan Rice. Um, so it's it's a tricky one, him being the captain, but I don't think it's as big an issue as some Palace fans are maybe making it out to be. Um, I've, I found it really interesting, the post-match comments by Vieira uh, directly about Luca. Almost as if to go to also as if to sort of try and get an uh, answer out of him on the performance, and he just flat out refused to kind of uh, rise to it. Just said, you know, he's, I think he was very aware that we're going to need him for the next six weeks or so minimum, and just thought, what is the point in me going? You know, he could have had a better game, or yeah. even getting into a captaincy debate when you know he's probably uh, separate from that. You think he's probably quite senior on the training ground. I imagine he's quite a good influence. The sort of thing that gets you made club captain in the first place. I'm sure when Vieira arrived, that that was somebody noticed. You think, well, if he's not starting every week, why would I then take that from him? He'd just be a shell of a man after that. Like, what's the, just leave leave that as it is and just know that when we need him, he's going to be there. Hopefully the games to come, Mill might be a really good chance to just get his confidence up a bit. And also just know it, you know, it's going to be a different midfield again. I don't think we'll play with that midfield three again unless, well, buying some more injuries or whatever. So I think the next midfield we play in the league or in the cup might be more beneficial to Luca anyway. There might be a bit more help. As we previously, like he's had a good last couple of games, but Schlupp is not the most positionally disciplined in central midfield. Let's put it that way. So having that next to Luca leads to those gaps. I think maybe moving forward, when MacArthur's back, when Gallagher's back, it might play into Lucas' style a bit more that he just knows he has one job. Yeah. Well, hopefully Gallagher is back. I don't really know what's happening with Gallagher, but hopefully he's back at the weekend. And he's certainly the sort of player that could play about 100 games a season. So I'm sure if he's available, he'll feature. Let's move on to another player who, who had a positive impact, Joe, in the game at the weekend, which is obviously Michael Elise off, off the bench. Uh, Jack did put in uh, in the FYP group Elise against was it Masuaku who'd been booked will be interesting last 20 minutes it's exactly what happens he comes on uh, and instantly has an impact um, and again it's thrown up this debate of does Elise start does Elise is Elise better off the bench for me personally he's an impact player at the moment and that was proved at the weekend but wh- what does this performance from Elise uh, say to you uh, Joe I I was I was heartened by the performance. I, f- I feel like whenever he started, often the, the opponents are teams that have sat back and just said, "Come on, then, come and take us on." And if if they're quite deep, he doesn't really have to. He doesn't really seem to be confident to take players on. Having said that, when he came on, even though West Ham were holding the lead, 
He had a little bit of space, but also you saw the combination of I'll try and take you on, which he did with Masuaku. But prior to him coming on, because I think they, there was a five minutes or so where um, it was still the other West Ham left back. Uh, forgive me, I forget Johnson. his name now. Johnson. Yeah, Ben Johnson. Um, where, well, you see it for the, the our first goal. Well, actually, if I can't get past you, well, I'll just switch on my left and get a cross in. And the players seem to be aware and ready for that. And it cost West Ham twice, at least. And there was some fouls one in there as well. I was very impressed. I mean, I was very hot. I was quite pleased that it wasn't used as a stick to beat Ayu with because I knew that for a long time that's been a discussion of get when when is he going to step aside to get Elise in, uh, which is obviously the long-term plan. I thought Ayu was excellent prior to that, probably our best-performing starting player. And it was quite interesting that there's there might be a situation where we have both of them on the field and both of them are more effective that way and we're still quite a threat. So that was really pleasing. It bodes well for what's to come, which is Ayu, who, despite that injury at full time and was crying, um, he has been photographed. He's at the African Nations with Ghana. That seems to have all been gone, gone a lot more smoothly than he'd hoped. So we are going to have to see Elise now. There's, there's crunch time, so... Whether or not the the management might agree he's ready or not yet, he's going to have to be. And you know he's he's creating enough chances and 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 products in his cameos, certainly from the substitute appearances. That you know he's it's worth a shot. And well, what better time to start then than this weekend? Yeah, exactly. Well, I was just thinking that as you were talking, that Mill was kind of ideal for that. Really, uh, Jack. I've had a question here from Achini. Hello, Achini. Hello, Achini. Hello, Achini. How can Elise be so bad at taking corners, but so good at crossing from any other angle? Um, I didn't actually notice any particularly bad corners, I'll be honest. And I think really with a 20-year-old, just turned 20-year-old, you have to accept players like that. Their performances and their form and, and literally their kicks from one to the other are going to be inconsistent. That is the nature of a young player improving. But when he did get to wrap his foot around to do those in-swingers, I mean, they were superb. Really good. I think for Reading last year, he created the most... Attempts on goal from set pieces for Reading last last year. So his set piece delivery is a positive. Uh, maybe his corner so far for Palace haven't been especially good, but he's definitely got that in his locker, which is why I think we'll see him on set pieces when he becomes a, a more regular fixture in the starting eleven. And um, he's got very nice um, technique when it comes to getting the ball in the box. The, the one thing that he suffered from so far is it's been quite easily easy to telegraph for a left back that when he's going to come back inside. Um, and for whatever reason, Masuaku just did not cotton onto that on uh, on on Saturday. Uh, he was it, it, probably the weakest of the left backs in in terms of who I've seen Elise up against that. Selhurst, Matt Ritchie for Newcastle, and Matt Target for Villa, and both of them dealt with him quite well because they are predominantly defending left backs when they're when they're playing. Um, Masuaku just has a different um, approach to playing at that position. Um, and and Elise certainly had had better luck against him, but the the, the opportunity to get the ball in the box um, led to some. Well, the the cross for Edward's goal was brilliant, and um, that's exactly what a striker's hoping for. Whoever would, would have found themselves in that place um, would have struggled to miss that. So that's just how good a ball that is. And then the free kick um, was was just whipped in at such speed. Any any touch or no touch is going to be a problem for the keeper. And, and Fabianski, I don't think, moved for that. So that's just testament to how good a delivery that was. Um, I really liked what I saw, but I still do consider him 
probably more likely to have an impact on the game when coming on and and disrupting a, a team setup. I, I don't know if we'll see him start that many uh, between now and the end of the season, but that will depend on how the next month goes. As Joe's just said, he will now be relied on to, to start. Um, I certainly expect him to start against Millwall. I think it's a really good opportunity for him to build his confidence. He's playing against opposition that he flourished against last year. Um, so um, I, I'm hoping that he'll have really good moments on on Saturday. And I think we've got a real player on his hands. I think, as I've said on previous pods, we need to manage him this season. We need to, you know, yeah. he needs to learn the league. The league needs to learn him, whichever way you want to see it. He needs to build himself physically. He needs to get used to playing at a higher level. Um, but I think from next season, we could see a, a real, real talent on a on a frequent basis for Palace. He was basically like a sort of Moldovan right midfielder playing against Don Fifield. That's how much luck he was having uh, down there. Right. And there's uh, Jesse, I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter. There's a really lovely view from the main stand. Someone sat quite down low of the free kick. And he, because uh, from my angle, it looked like he's whipping it in the box. Actually, he genuinely is going for that bottom corner. And it's lovely technique. He's got that kind of whip that some players have where their standing foot goes sort of up in the air and they all they almost sort of leave the ground to take it. It's superb technique. And I mean, a spoon Bill McHumpty, one of our regulars, has has posed the question that Jack was just talking about there. That does does he is he better off the bench? Are we heaping too much pressure on Elise? Says uh, Spoon Bill. But I think he's going to become one of those players that whether he does start more often or off the bench, it's just a joy to watch because his talent is is absolutely clear. I think Elise tested positive for being an absolute baller. <laughs> and uh, <Yay! laughs> um, I mean, he's frighteningly effective so far. I mean, his numbers are insane. Like I know they flashed him up on match today. That's going to get people watching if they're not already. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's quite worrying in some ways. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't do anything but agree with it, what's been said. I think there's obviously a Zahar and AU shaped hole to fill for four weeks. And he is kind of the engine is revved for him to step in. Unlike Eze, which I think it looks like PV has been a lot more cautious with. Um, I, I've only seen him come on for, was it Villa? He came on his first game back. Yeah. Eze. And he looked, yeah. he looked pretty rusty and unfit to me. So I th- it feels like PV has been a little bit more cautious about bringing him back before Elise will get the starting spot um, sort of left open by AFCON. Um, I tell you what, I was quite impressed by as well, though, is when we were pushing for the second and third goal, I think Gaeta found, um, when we were on the break, um, after Gaeta collected the ball, he found Elise. Mm. And it looked like he was going to bomb on and get a bit excited, uh, which you'd forgive him for. And it's what you'd expect to see, Balassi style, just going for it. But he, he did, he sort of went to do it, but then played it cautiously inside a couple of times to make sure we kept the ball. And I just thought, it sort of... I think I t- JC was behind me and I sort of turned to him like, he's not getting too excited. He's, he, just, he knows that we've got to keep the ball to move up the pitch and just didn't really expect that of someone so young in that, in that moment. So that was quite encouraging to see. Um, I just think he's um, clearly just got, you know, so much to offer and something so interesting. We'll come on to the sort of things we've been talking about with Benteke building up to this pod and Edward, but how many times do you think Edward and Benteke have come off the bench this season and neither of them have scored? 14 times between them, they've come off the bench and only only once have they scored. And that was Edward's debut against Spurs. Other than that, it's been 13 more times they've come on and done nothing. So you've got to feel like PV is 
uh, aware of that and he knows that Elise is his game changer on the yeah. bench if things aren't going yeah. right. So that maybe has gone against him a bit in sort of he's got to be that kind of fresh legs from the bench who can deliver uh, because he's not getting it from anyone else. So what we need, we need obviously to see things change there because otherwise um, we, we don't want to see him fester on the bench for too much longer. Yeah, it's interesting. And we talk about the squad being better and more options on the bench. But as you say, he seems to be the only one doing it. I think Eze will eventually, I think, start offering more from the bench, the more match fitness he gets, hopefully, because we know what a super talent he is. Um, and I feel like Schlappi is at some point, maybe not this season, but in previous seasons, been a explosive off the bench. But uh, yeah, Elise does seem to be game the game changer at the moment. Absolutely right phrase to to call him that. But we hope that he'll JD, offer more. The, the, there was a men- um, Jesse just mentioned Balassi there. And at 3-1... After Edward's goal, there was a moment of Elise. We were on the break. Yeah. We cleared a corner. And um, Elise just <laughs> murdered Masuaku with a turn. And it was Balassi against yeah. Glenn Johnson yeah. Yeah. in a moment. And I just thought, it's going to happen again. And um, <laughs> exactly. it, was just, it was just the same. It was the same move on the other side of the pitch, but the same halfway line. Um, it, was just, it was just incredible to be like, is it going to happen again? You know, obviously, sadly, it didn't. But... Um, to be in that position for there to be such a moment that just replicated um, a previous moment in time was was quite lovely actually for for a second and uh, I'm very excited by Elisa. By Elisa. I, I, there is a similarity with with Balassi in the explosion and the impact he can have on the game, but he strikes me as being also able to be a lot more measured and and the point you just made there about knowing when to maybe cut back inside and and keep the ball for another thirty seconds to get you know colleagues up the pitch maybe sometimes Balassi suffered from that, that he was up the pitch with no one to pass to. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited by, by Elise. And um, I think, I think Vieira might be the perfect man to, to manage him. Absolutely. At this, at the, at the, at this moment of his career. Yeah, absolutely. Well, at this moment of the podcast, Jack, I think it's probably time for us to take a quick break and then we'll um, come back. I know uh, it's a new year, new me. Uh, we'll come back um, with an article from the athletic. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com slash US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge, for every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. 
Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the Fagatan Podcast. Uh, this week we're sponsored by The Athletic, bringing you every football story that matters. The Athletic is home to the best collection of football reporters, storytellers, and analysis in the world. From breaking club news and exclusive interviews to brilliant features and tactical analysis, The Athletic is football news you can trust and football writing you can feel and you can get all access to exclusive stories ad-free. And if you go to theathletic.com slash FYP, that's theathletic.com slash FYP, uh, you can get 50% off your annual subscription. Uh, that's just £30 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action. Uh, each week, we, we well, actually, each other week, we read an article from The Athletic and talk about it this week by Matt Wisdom. It's an article called Palace Must Stop Leaving Themselves with So Much to Do. Also sounds like me and my uh, work admin. Um, and it's basically talking about the second half comebacks, which we have covered many times on the podcast. I'll read a few clips uh, that, that jumped out at me. Matt says, um, in this defeat to West Ham, Vieira pointed to a lack of maturity in his side and experience West Ham having playing together. I think Jesse said that earlier. Um, this was in stark contrast to Palace depleted by absences due to COVID and injury with their first choice 11 still to settle, let alone cobbled together. Uh, then he goes on to talk about uh, conceding the goals and says, but were it not for these fundamental individual and team areas, many of them entirely avoidable, Palace would be in a far better position, pointing to the quality of the finishing it's warranted, but the key lies in preventing the situations from occurring in the first place. There is still much to be pleased about. Palace's 22 attempts on goal was higher than any other Premier League team this season. Their nine corners, their highest total to date, and more touches in the area than they've registered before. These were con- there were contributing factors against West Ham, and Vieira is right to point to his side's relative inexperience. We are building something here, and it will take time, he said. But they will nevertheless still be judged on results come the end of the season. That line, Jesse, uh, jumped out at me because I think, I mean, we are halfway through the season now, or just over halfway through the season. But this is still a young side. It's a young project. And I think you're just going to have, because it's uh, a team in transition, you're going to have, and a young team, moments where they do make mistakes where things don't go right and, and i'm wondering if this is just something we have to accept this season assuming we can stay up and it looks like we're on course to do that that these things are going to happen in a team a young team in transition yeah and i think you add to that how many new players came in as well and a new manager so late into the summer first day of pre-season training it was his first day so um you know there was always an element of risk what what this season had in store for us. I think it's going better than we could expect. And of a young team who've been thrown together with a, obviously a lone player like Gallagher as well, who's really shown commitment to the cause. Um, I don't think, think we could be expecting much more than, than what we're getting. It's just, there is this underlying frustration that we're not taking these chances. And um, as, as we saw in the first half, West Ham did. And it was quite a typical Palace. I remember you talking on your... Uh, pod after the Norwich game when was the last time he went three nil up in the first half and then it happened against us the <laughs> following game you know it's just it's, it's going to happen to us and yeah I think I think um Vieira is being quite cautious not being um with the press he's not telling 
them who's out for what reason. Well, with with good reason, you know, it's like the Christmas games, the Christmas uh, fixture list is so close together. And you know that if a player has COVID, you know he's got seven to ten days out. And there's no there's no other condition which has such a guaranteed period of being out. Yeah. You know, if someone's got a fever or a tight hamstring, that could be nonsense or it could be something a bit more serious. It's like, it's, how long is a piece of string with that? If someone tests positive for COVID on Boxing Day, you know that they're out for two or three games. It helps other teams plan ahead. So you can see why he's been uh, cautious about that. And, you know, he's he's generally been quite cautious, isn't he? I think, is there truth in that we've seen a lot more uh, or a lot less training footage on Twitter? There's a lot less footage from training from previous years, which I think is definitely Vieira going, stop giving up too much away. <laughs> I don't want to see, don't want them to see who's practicing shooting three days before the game, you know? So I think it's just him. I think it's just, he's trying to keep kind of uh, every advantage he can under, uh, to himself and just get the most out of this young team. Uh, yeah. I didn't know the training thing uh, was a thing, but that I wonder if that's just because there is more entertainment on the pitch. And last season, the social team was so desperate for any entertainment because a lot of the games are quite dull that they would pick someone smashing the ball in from 20 yards in training. That would almost count as the same. But I, I, Joe, I am, I, I'm enjoying Vieira as manager. And I think we all appreciated what Roy did. And I, I love Roy. And I still actually think given the circumstances, he's our best ever manager in the Premier League. But I'm enjoying having Vieira and I'm enjoying the way he is engaging with the fans and engaging with the media. Now, there was a great bit of him after the second goal turning to the main stand, waving his arms in the air, trying to get everyone going. And in moments where he has to be like that, he is. And in fact, we had a question from uh, Jacqueline, Jacqueline and Hart, one of our, our listeners in San Diego. Um, hi, Jacqueline, who said, did anyone see Vieira's impassioned interaction with the referee at the end of the game, which we already had to break up? He's one of us now. He's fallen to that palace magic. So I, I, I'm quite... I'm quite liking that when he needs to be placid and 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 sensible with the press, he is. But in those moments when he does need to be fiery, you know, watching a manager like that uh, go into bat for his team at the end, you love seeing that as a fan. And I, as I say, I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying having Patrick Vieira as manager for it. And actually, I'm not sure when the last time I really enjoyed a Palace manager was. Probably been quite a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, I've I've been enjoying it, but also appreciative of how quite early on we are in the journey, which maybe has added to the joy of the fact that some of the things that we we're going to be expecting in terms of the transition of play and um, implementing new players, so many new players, also trying to impose the style on existing players, some of them quite senior and you expect them to fall away. None of that happened in the way that is normally feared. It's all been, you know, it's none of it's perfect, but You've got senior players that have just bought into it so well uh, and a big part of what's been happening, players like Warden, MacArthur, Pratt, who's injury, um, even Gaeta has grown into it somewhat. Yeah. It was a lot more nervy at the start. The new players have kind of... have It didn't take very long to just change immediately how what we were playing. Um, and we, we're getting some interesting results out of it. And, and being used to having the ball... Well, I mean, I remember the Pardew days, there'd be a lot of home games where we'd have the we'd have a lot of the ball, but never really progress from sort of midfield to attack very well. Teams were happy to just stay deep. And uh, there, it didn't, there wasn't really much hope in that. Um, we have had some games like that, but I don't know why. The, the attitude, the, the, the encouragement is just so different. I, I, you can see there's many ways, room, lots of room for improvement, excuse me, but... You can just see it's a, a work in progress, but it's also, you know, 
a work in progress that is ticking along at a, a noticeable rate. So it's not just kind of delusion and fingers and toes crossed, hoping that that's going to change. It really, we've been yeah. seeing it in front of our eyes. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Jack, actually, because uh, as fans, we don't ask for too much, really. We want to see our players try. We want to see some sort of intention that we're heading somewhere, whether that's with style on the pitch or just in general. And I know for the last few years, we've been asking for Palace to really kick on and move away from the relegation zone. And as Joe says, that is happening in front of us. And yes, the results will come and go, but you know, I don't remember seeing Palace golf at three 0 at half time and where I sit near Jesse in the corner of the main zone and everyone cheering and everyone support. They can see that this team is trying to do something and it's fun. It's enjoyable. Even if we do lose a home to three, two to West Ham. So I think people, Palace fans can see what's happening, can't they? And they, they don't ask for much and what they are asking for, they are really getting. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that this is the first since promotion. This is the first period of proper transition in terms of playing style, the ginormous turnover of playing staff and the management. So this is the first, I kind of, up, up until the end of Roy, I kind of consider that to be the same journey from maybe not Holloway, but maybe Pulis, maybe from that like end of November of 2013 to the summer of 2021. It was the same journey. Yes, we changed manager relatively frequently up until Roy. Um, just on a side note yesterday, blew my mind that Pardew was only our manager for less than two years. That feels yeah. like a period of five years in my mind. Yeah. But that journey up until the end of Roy felt like one story, whereas now I feel like we're entering a new chapter. Well, um, they tried, didn't they? They sort of tried with Frank and it didn't work. So they just went yeah, back to the old story. Exactly. So they, you know, that, yeah, that's yeah. that. And we've got to acknowledge that, that the club did try and do that. But then they realised that we weren't ready to do it as a club. We weren't ready in terms of recruitment, the, play, the current playing staff was not ready to adopt it. The choice of manager did not work. So they, they reverted back to, to what worked for the previous four years since promotion at that yeah. point. And then you have a very stable period of Roy. And I think you're right, JD, to give that credit to Roy to provide the stable platform for a new manager, be it Patrick Vieira, to come in and do what they've done. Because without that steady platform, which it's fair to say Frank de Boer did not have, it will not work. Yeah, yeah. And... It's exciting. It's it is exciting. You know, you're right to to finish a first half three 0 down, but for there still to be positivity. I mean, it's one less goal than Sunderland were up <laughs> when I literally had blood in my mouth a few <laughs> years ago. So, you know, it, it's fair to say that we're in a different place than we were under previous managers. And yes, there are issues. Yes, we are conceding uh, doubles in quick succession, which is a habit that we need to stop. Yes, we are finding ourselves behind in games where we shouldn't be behind in games. Yes, we're not taking as many chances as we should do. These will be ironed out in time, provided that Vieira and his coaching staff keep us away from the relegation zone as they currently are, time will be on his side. He will be given the time to iron these issues out and we will become a much better team when those issues are ironed out. Um, I think we're in a really good place. I, I, I think the article was really well timed by Matt in that it's the right time of year, the turn of the year, half season point, 19 games played, maybe 20 games now, but you know, we're at that halfway point and at kind of half term stage, we're in a good place. It's, it's not a case that we're in and around the bottom three thinking, but we're showing signs that we could do it. We're well away from the bottom three. Yeah. You know, I, I don't consider us to be a relegation candidate at this point in time. That may change over the next few games. Who knows if, if they pick up points and we don't, then you don't know. But I think we're going to January, and a run of difficult fixtures, you know, in the, I think our next two home games are Liverpool and Chelsea. So 
it, it's not as though we've got you know easy fixtures coming up, but we're playing well enough to go into games where I think we we will be okay the rest of the season. And that was the main job this season: stay up, solidify the rebuild, and given the transition that we're going through, staying up this season is a real achievement. Anything on top of that is just a lovely bonus. Absolutely, and if it's fun along the way, then you know, and it is, uh, and it, and is. it is exactly. And, exactly. and while we've had the disappointing, you know, draws in games that we should have won, we're also celebrating wins at old uh, at, at the Etihad. Yeah, you know, comfortable wins, great moments. So, yeah, good good times. Good times indeed, and you can get more good times but going to theathletic.com forward slash FYP to get 50%, doesn't really work, um, off your annual subscription to The Athletic. So thank you very much to them for sponsoring this week's pod. Um, After the break, questions. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. We are, for the most part, a reactionary society. If your neighbor has a break-in, you think about getting an alarm. If your buddy gets laid off, you say, I better buckle down at work. If banks start closing, you may want to ask yourself if you should keep most or all of your money in a bank. It may be time for a portfolio protection plan. It may be time to have a little personal gold reserve. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. We are, for the most part, a reactionary society. If your neighbor has a break-in, you think about getting an alarm. If your buddy gets laid off, you say, I better buckle down at work. If banks start closing, you may want to ask yourself if you should keep most or all of your money in a bank. It may be time for a portfolio protection plan. It may be time to have a little personal gold reserve. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Fobby Plan Podcast. Three. First pod of 2022. And you all know how much I hate talking about the January transfer window. It is January now, so I can't put it off anymore. So our first question or questions are going to be about that January transfer window. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, William Fortune 1. Hi, William. Hello, William. Hello, William Fortune 1. Much better than the sequel. Says, um, who should we sign and sell this window? And Gareth Richards a.k.a. Gareth from California. Hey, Gareth. Hello, Gareth Hello, from California. Gareth. Uh, says, who's in and who's out in January? Any thoughts on that? Um, I want to put one name to you guys, actually, that is cropping up 
in various places, the Sun, the Daily Mail, the Independent, all linking Palace, uh, sorry, Arsenal forward, Eddie Nketiah, with Palace and Brighton. This is a name, uh, Jack, that we did see crop up at the start of the season, I believe. Uh, and it sounds like Palace are going back in, although are challenged by Brighton for this. Um, is this an area Palace needs to strengthen in January? How are you feeling about this? I think it all depends on what the club plans to do with our friend Jean-Philippe. Um, yes, I think um, if if he goes or the club have realised that they're not going to sign him permanently come now or the summer, then there is a space in the squad at the top of the pitch that we need to fill. Um, and Ketia strikes me as a, a good piece of business if we could do it on our terms. Um, he's out of contract at the end of the summer. Um, so you think there's probably room to to do a deal with Arsenal now if they want to to get a fee for him, although I think they'd probably be entitled to some um, some sort of fee given his age um, if he was to, to move on a free transfer in the summer. But yeah, I, I like what I've seen of Nketiah. He hasn't been prolific in the Premier League, but he's always a threat. He's he's shown more in cup competitions and for England under-21s, his record there was, was good. Um, so I think it's a good piece of business. But again, a bit like the Will Hughes deal in the summer, we have to be the ones that kind of set the terms and and, yeah. and do it on our terms. If there's a good deal to be done, let's do it, but let's not pay what Arsenal want because I'm sure Arsenal want more money than what Palace are willing to pay for a player who, in theory, would be available on a free transfer in the in the summer. Um, I, I had a quick check on this yesterday and Skybet were offering evens on, on Nketiah coming to Palace, which is a, a, a fairly good sign. You know, bookies don't like to lose money. So um, if you follow the money, then... It looks as though Selhurst Park may be where he ends up. But yeah, I like him. Um, but I don't think the business needs to be done unless there's a deal um, not to be done for Mateta. And it may be that that's been decided by by Palace. And I did see yesterday Lekipa running a story that um, St Etienne um, were lining up a deal for him um, from Mainz, which would suggest that Mainz are negotiating with other clubs, knowing that Palace aren't going to take up the option to sign him. St Etienne, on a, on a side note, um, also announced last week the re-signing of Bakary Sacco. So, yeah. Oh, I saw um, that. Yeah, could be a, a kind of a mini Palace uh, reunion happening. Happening that I think Yoan Kabai went back there last season as well before yeah. he retired as well. So maybe it's kind of a, a post Palace uh, stopping point for. For, for some palace the, path, but, the, um, path of, the pathos of France. The pathos actually, Bakary was, was there. Bakary was there. Well. Well. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, Bakary Sacco, when he retires, his Wikipedia page is going to be a treat. That's going to look <laughs> a, that's going to be very interesting. Am I the only one that saw that and thought, I still genuinely wouldn't mind Bakary back at Palace as an option off the bench? I really liked him. Yeah. I really yeah, liked him. He was a threat. He was he a just... threat. We, we didn't use him properly. I, I never felt. And he, and he did have injury problems, but... I don't know. He, yeah, he, he, I'd had high hopes when we signed him and they never really came true. But Yeah, a lot um, of injuries. And then there was that spell where we had to play him up front because of injuries. Yeah, And yes. he played as the number nine on his own for sort of a two-month period, which is absolute yeah. hell. That, that <laughs> I remember, what, we, I remember hell. going away at Old Trafford. I think we got done three or four nil. He was up front on his own, did about an hour, barely touched the ball. And our sub-striker was... Oh, the name's gone for me now. He now I think plays. I know at, who, it, he plays it, at like League One. Yeah, he's gone. Climbed was back it, up. Was it Sully Kaikai? No, it was Freddie Ladapo. Freddie Ladapo. Oh, it was Freddie Ladapo. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Jesse. Freddie Ladapo. 
who yeah. bless him. I think and we cheered every touch because we knew he was just that was just not his level. I think Freddie Ledapo is he was at Rotherham, and I think yes. he's, wherever he is now, maybe it's still there. He's doing okay. I, he yeah. keeps yeah. popping up now every now and then on Twitter, scoring goals. He's still at Rotherham. Yeah, he's climbed back he's up. Okay. He's climbed back up the leagues with Rotherham. He's gone for good money recently. Record. Someone, yeah, someone paid decent money for him not too long ago at that level. But um, maybe we'll sign him. Maybe resign Freddie Ledapo. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the. Um, no, I just final line. I just think Inketia could be a smart piece of business if we get it done on on our terms. That's that's yeah. The, that's the line. Really. I think the Will Hughes comparison is interesting. Uh, and if they if it's as good as deals they've done with Will Hughes, which they've shown they can obviously do, then I think it it probably does work for everyone. But it does actually, uh, Jesse, as Chat just said there about Mateta, it it must be some sort of it one in one out like one of Joe's nightclubs um, deal with Mateta and Jamie Penston Raja is one of our regulars. So hello, Jamie said, um, Hi, Jamie. clearly a Mateta fan. Who are we realistically going to get for 15 million who can have the sort of impact Mateta has? I mean, we suspect, I suspect maybe Mateta might be a similar sort of money. He's obviously not perfect, but the energy ability to find himself in dangerous positions and the movement on and off the ball is something we are sorely lacking when Benteke was on the pitch. Oh, little digger Christian. Um, we've made far worse signings for far more money. Are you happy with Enketia for Mateta or are you a big Jean-Philippe fan? You've got to think that uh, Vieira knows all about Enketia, right? Lindbergh is still there as assistant coach to Arteta. Like, like Vieira will know all about him and obviously watched him when he has played for Arsenal. So it, it, he's clearly keen on this guy. I think he was in the summer too. So uh, and where, whereas he inherited Mateta, who was also on some weird contract and barely had a, a 90 minutes under his belt for us. So he's had to learn who, about Mateta and ironically he's gone and shown up in the last couple of games. So it's a difficult one. Um, and you've got to think if St. Etienne have just signed Sacco, he wouldn't be on small wages. Do they have the money to also sign Mateta? That doesn't quite sound right. So <clears throat> it will be sort of one in one out in, on those terms. But I think what's quite telling for me here is, Vieira's really got high expectations up front. And if you don't deliver, you you suffer the consequences. Like 20 games in, as we've just said, it's a good time for some reflection. And I think just looking at the way that he's managed Eduardo Menteke, he really is rewarding rewarding form and punishing um sloppiness. So he sort of and he plays a bit of a probability game. He sort of looks who is the opposition, how is the striker playing? And we'll make very black and white decisions about who gets game time, who starts, who comes off the bench and how long he gives them. So whereas we're used to Roy giving players way too yeah. much rope and let, let, watching them, you know, flog a dead horse for 90 minutes without freshening it up. Like Vieira's really checked, flipped that around. It's been quite interesting to watch because we've seen that um, Eduard and Tekkers have only really played one or two games for 90 minutes where they haven't scored and assisted. And they're against Newcastle and Brentford where he's given them the run out. And interestingly, the one game other than that, that Penteke has played 90 minutes was against Villa and and didn't score was against Villa. And that was when he put Edward on for Zaha, which shocked everybody. And that was because I think Penteke scored two the previous week against Burnley. And so if you look at November, it's quite interesting. He was given like the whole game, pretty much the whole game and subbed off late against Wolves then starts against Burnley, scores two, then given the start against Villa, blanks, but he takes off Zaha, and then he starts, for, so he gives him the start against Leeds in the next game, is subbed off after the hour. So he kind of, 
really plays a probability game. And as we said earlier, they've come off the bench between them 14 times, not scored. We're relying on a 20-year-old to kind of change the game for us. Um, but whereas when Benteke and Edward have scored or assisted, they get to play the game, the whole game. Mm-hmm. So he really is playing there on merit. Um, and maybe we do need someone who's a bit more threat than Mateta, a bit more re- a reliable, reliable at this level to really make those three strikers earn their place. Um, and it's, it's been really interesting and so different to Roy. Yeah. Well, I, I Joe, the, the Arsenal fans that I know out here, um, and there is shamefully a lot of them, um, all say that Enketia is a sort of six-yard merchant, and if you get the delivery right for him, he'll do that. He'll 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 put them away, which obviously, as we saw from Elise say at the weekend, you know, if he's feeding those kind of balls yeah. into someone like Enketia, then he'll score. And um, but doesn't tend to do sort of much outside the box. Whereas I think we've been asking, or we've been certainly seeing from Edward some good movement. We've been asking Benteke to do a bit more of that, and it, we've even seen Mateta do a bit more of that as well, certainly against Norwich. But that is interesting from Jesse there that clearly. Vieira likes sort of form over reputation. And if you've got another striker in the mix, that's keeping, I guess, the others on their toes. So if, if anything, that can maybe help them stay on form, I guess. That's a very yeah. rudimentary analysis, but... For sure, no, but it, it, it just, it speaks to the, the standard that management want to set for the forwards. I mean, in the summer, it was a talk of one of Eduard or Enketia. And yeah. we're now in January going... Oh, let's get in Ketir as well, then, yeah. because effectively we're going to have to negotiate with him to say you could effectively be if you if, if things aren't going to plan, you would be our third choice striker. But we do need three strikers, and what helps is I guess the variety as well. Sometimes when you want to change things up, subbing a Benteke for Mateta, there is some change, but not a massive amount. And um, or or if a style is working, let's say Edward starts working and he gets an injury. Does the game ground to a halt when you have to take him off for Benteke and change things up that don't suit the style? So if you've got someone that seems to suit Edouard's game a little bit more, um, Edouard, who also is playing a wide a lot more recently and may have to now, certainly for the next six weeks, um, Enketia coming in could be a really good option uh, in terms of the value that, that was spoken about earlier. I think Arsenal had a very high asking price in the summer that meant it was one of him or Ed. Edward for us yeah. and Edward between the two was always going to be a better choice. I believe now I think there's been all these threats, whether it's just agent talk of um, Leverkusen and other German clubs interested in Ketia and they wouldn't have to pay as much compensation at the end of the season on a free or in the, sorry, when the contract's up as an English club would. And I think the threat of that has made Arsenal a lot more open to negotiations uh, with an English club who can pay some more, money up front. So I think for the money that it's likely to be for the sort of age profile of the player, I think it's a, a really interesting risk of that. And it, again, it's a player that's going to have to accept maybe in rotating with one or two other strikers. I think that would be a very good deal if we could get it over the line. Um, and judging by how Palace have been doing their business in the last year, I have to say, if it isn't a deal that makes sense, we seem to be the club that is happy to step away from it. Yeah. And also, yeah. Sorry, um, it's quite. We're only fifth of January today. Is it fifth of January? So, yeah. you know, to get it done early in the window would also be very unpalace, but would be very welcome. Although, as you say, the the COVID and the Afcon situation is pressing, so I guess that is a reason why we have to get it done early. Um, do you know, what? I've forgotten, guys. I've forgotten to do winners and losers. I could just just realise uh, <laughs> we're going through a question. So we will 
say thank you to our listeners for those questions. We will go to part four and do a very quick winners and losers, and then we'll come back and we'll preview that clash at Millwall. Time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Part four of the Five Year Plan podcast. Hey. Part four. It's normally part two. It's part four. No, new year, new pod. Maybe we'll just do it in part four forever. Who knows? But anyway, it's winners and losers. This is the part where we do split from our public feed to our patron feed. So winners and losers is a patron-only feature. If listening on the patron feed, you're going to hear it now. If listening on the public feed, you'll get a clip from this weekend's post-match podcast. Also available in full at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. If you like the sound of either, please do go over and sign up now and uh, you'll get access to all that and more. Uh, But let's make the split now. As JD said at the start, we were up against a very good team that pretty much offensively had all of their options and more. Uh, we didn't, of course. But I I thought that, you know, even the goal, the first goal is a very clever ball in and Gehi probably has to defend the ball in front and, and try and defend it in front. But it was a wicked ball to deal with, in, in fairness. But Ben Rama, I think it was, and put that in, was it? Who's got yeah, very good quality? That goal, you're right. It was spot on. But it was a, it was a turnover from Palace. Palace's midfield surrendered the ball to give them that. The reason that Wardy's caught in, in tucked in so much and allows Ben Rama the space is is because Palace have been in possession, and when, we know when Palace are in possession, he tucks in as a third centre half effectively, um, quite often. And, and but but it was Hughes, I think, he gave it away. Poorly for that for that first goal. Always much easier, obviously, to score on the counter when teams are spread and all that sort of stuff. But I thought on the second goal again, I haven't seen it back in the in the sort of run up to it, if you like. But you know, the thing that struck me is okay. You, you've lost possession, 
you, if you don't win that ball back in the press in the first one or two seconds, then you've got to get back into yeah. into shape and defend mm. properly as a unit. And I thought that's what we probably should have done. Mm. I think Luca trying to go and press the ball too high up the pitch at that point was was not wise. Um, and and that was my sort. Again, I haven't seen it back, so I could be wrong. But that was my sort of instinct when I first saw it put it that way um but i just i didn't uh i didn't think that that we were so so poor i think they had that spell like i said to you for sort of 10 minutes in the game and i I don't remember too much too many others where i felt in a in a lot of danger and obviously the quality and the ruthlessness of the finishing particularly the second goal by Lanzini is spectacular, really. And that's, you know, high, high class, high quality. But again, I wasn't, you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, I don't know. I mean, again, Dom, you've seen the game back on TV and you might not have the same instinct as me from being there. And I want to ask you, and I don't know if you thought this, JD, because you were there yesterday too. Uh, ben Johnson is, is that the, that was the left yeah. back the first that, half. Yeah. He pulls Jordan I you clearly when he goes past him. That's a mandatory yellow card that he didn't get for the first foul. He made no attempt to play the ball whatsoever and just pulled him back. He then did it again and got a yellow card. And the manager obviously was clearly concerned at half time that he was going to be sent off and changed him. And I would have argued that Masuaku, he's my neighbour actually, he lives over just next door, The uh, he, um, I've got to say to you, I think he he might have been slightly fortunate as well because the first foul on, on um, the Elise, I'd be seen as a yellow card by a lot of referees and then the second one, clear. So... I didn't think Rob said it at the beginning that we didn't have the rub too much and I felt that was sort of all round yesterday. You know, I mean, the only thing I'm fortunate about is that you got to listen to Alan Pardew and I didn't. So uh, that's sort of given me some pleasure. I thought that I th- it's difficult with refereeing. I know that I don't think back passes can be reviewed on VAR, but it was a very obvious they gained an advantage from that that back pass by Dawson as Edouard was putting him under pressure. And in, to me, that to, that to me just seems like one of those decisions that that just at that point in the game, it would have made, it, it, it seemed to me a reasonable thing to do. I don't, I don't think Darren England is a very good referee, but that's just, that's by the by. Um, but as you say, I think he, he, he wasn't entirely, I think Vieira was, was very annoyed by the by the final whistle. He was very uh, animated with his gesticulations, just like this little guy is. Um, <laughs> so, it, but it was just it was clearly there was a lot of frustration from from Vieira about the refereeing performance. I, I I can kind of see why as well. As you said, I think that there were a couple of occasions where he should have where a yellow card would have maybe kind of been warranted and just wasn't dished out. It was. Um... I didn't think the pass back was looked intentional. If I'm totally honest, on 
on, on did you not day, JD? No, I didn't. I or or, or it didn't look. I mean, Rob's right. You can't. It didn't look. It didn't look clear enough to me that it looked intended. It, it could have been. What was it? What it's you, what literally was right into the goalkeeper's hands as he's under pressure from a player I who's about to who could I, score I, if it wasn't. If I he thought he was just it. sort of sweeping the ball away and it didn't look to me like he was intentionally sort of... Part. I mean, it may have been, but it looked to me just sort of start sweeping the ball away from danger and it trickled through to the keeper. So Which I doesn't don't... happen to go to the goalkeeper's hands. I don't know. I d- yeah. If that was it's the one of the way around, I would, have, I would have been annoyed if we'd have given that away. But but that's football. You know, that's I guess that's just... That's the way it goes. But, you know, we're talking about... We are talking about small decisions here and fine margins as we said including the hitting the wood no, I've just, I've just watched time. that back and Jody's absolutely right <laughs> he's genuinely Come honestly he's, it's it's it, Dawson is tussling with Edouard and Dawson just sticks his his foot That's out to try I and do. intercept the ball from Edouard and it and it, it it doesn't even go on the angle that he's trying to play the, the he actually yeah. mistimes that if it had come from Diop who was running he was he was actually in front of Edwell when the, the move began, when the ball's hooked up the line, then fair enough, it would have been a very blatant black pass. But I I don't think I don't think Dawson knows what he's I doing. Think to get back passes, <laughs> generally. I've only ever I've only ever seen Palace get one back pass ever. And I don't know if like Selzer will be able to tell me within a second of which one that was. But didn't Dougie Friedman score from it? Oh, actually, I swear no, I think there was, there was one where... Others, yeah. The one I'm remembering is away at Swindon in 1999. Oh, no, we gave it away. We gave we gave that one away. It was Jamie Smith, I think, or... I'm afraid... I mean, the, the whole... Was that in the Mark McCammon game? Was that Mark McCammon scored for them and that we won 4-2? No, one, Mc... no, we lost, I think. Or Drew, Leo McKenzie scored in the last minute. Uh, okay. The whole back pass thing, it, you might as well just not have that rule Well, it has to be... It's purely there. But it's purely there because... Of you know the rule change in what 1992 where goalkeepers yeah. couldn't pick the ball <laughs> yeah, up and yeah, yeah. it's just been there ever since. Um, well, and now keepers can kick it because like obviously back yeah. in 92, no goalkeeper could kick a football straight. Whereas yeah. how they can actually like they're basically sweepers, so it's, it isn't a bit of an irrelevant rule, I guess. Can I offer one winner, JD? Of course, um, and it's it's the club as a whole. Um, Lovely. I think the attitude towards AFCON is what it should be. Yeah. Um, I think Vieira said a couple of weeks ago, came out with a really strong statement about whether there'd be any opposition from the club in terms of player selection for, for AFCON. And um, the club of your parish, Watford, in comparison <laughs> to how Palace have acted, yeah, has been true. an absolute disgrace. Yeah. Um, so it is really positive. And it is frustrating that we're going to lose um, key players at a, at a pivotal part of the season. But that's not the player's fault. It's not the country's fault. This is, you know, international um, organisations that arrange and, and get authorization for these tournaments to be held mid-season. So for there to be question marks about whether a, a player should go, I, I just find it really embarrassing that, that Watford have, have put um, these kind of obstacles in the way of Emmanuel Dennis and, and Ismail Assar um, going to Akron. I know Saar's now going. I don't know what the status of Dennis playing for Nigeria is, but if I was a Watford fan, I'd be so embarrassed by by how the club's acted. And and I, as I said, I do get it. I do get the frustration of losing a player, particularly crucial players at, at an important time of the season. But I don't know, it just really doesn't sit well with me that the players are being um, not allowed to play for their country in a in a you know authorized tournament. Yeah. Um, whereas Palace's attitude has been has been really positive, and I think um, you know really strong leadership from Vieira has has just spread throughout the club. In, in respect of this tournament and um, I don't think there's any questions asked and I wish all of our players the best of luck in their endeavours yeah. over the next month or so. 
Yeah, well said. Um, there was a tweet by Ian Wright who said that AFCON is the most disrespected tournament and he's 100% right. There's, there's no other international tournament that's run during domestic seasons that I can think of. I mean, it's for the players in those countries, it's the, it, it's like the European Championship. It, it's like, you know, it's a pinnacle yeah. for them to play and I think it is disrespected and I think as a result, because of where how it's been organised, it means it's it gives clubs an excuse, clubs like Watford, an excuse to do the same sort of thing and in a way disrespect their own players by forcing them to stay so I think you're, you're right to highlight Palace's approach to it and you're right to hammer Watford and anytime we hammer Watford on this podcast I 100% accept it despite people thinking I'm a Watford fan um, so yeah I do think it's a, it's a disrespected tournament um, shall we take a break and preview uh, a big game at the weekend it's Millwall away in the FA Cup When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Back to uh, part five of the Five Plan podcast. Hey. I think it's part five. Um, first pod of 2022. FA Cup third round is here. That's when you know the new year has started. And Palace for once, Joe, have got a good draw. Feels like years since we've had an interesting draw. Uh, Millwall away. Uh, so very interesting one indeed. As we've talked about previously in on this episode, covid Injuries, AFCON that we talked about in, in the last part does mean that we'll probably be seeing some sort of rotation. Ricky B, not in line for rotation, he's one of our listeners, has said, uh, given <laughs> COVID know. injuries and AFCON, 
Uh, will we slash should we see any rotation for the Millwall game? As I said before, Joe, we're going to be forced into this situation. But what would you like to see in terms of rotation for the weekend? Uh, whatever works for the club, really. I, I think often with FA Cup third round games, a lot of rotation and resting comes and it can be frustrating because it's a bit of overkill. Mm. I think, um, and it actually ties back into what we were saying in the winners and losers about the African nations is that we've signed, we've, we've got this squad now that actually there's some exciting players that we have that we'd like to see more of. So it's almost like January has come come as an opportunity now to see these players. So even our version of a rotation against Millwall still likely to be players like Elise, Eze, um, Edouard, you know, like this is some serious players, you know, gyro style. Oh, heaven forbid. Like, you know, like that's, that's still a very accomplished (laughs) player. So I'm really excited for this. I mean, Millwall who also aren't play, I think they're playing their sub keeper and uh, they're, they're really sweating over. So Jed Wallace is their best player, basically. Mm, yeah. um, he's injured, I believe, but also I'm getting WhatsApp messages about he's potentially, he's been linked with a move to Turkey today. So he might not, you know, so they're all over the place. And it's, it's funny, I, as much as I consider Brighton our strongest rivals, I've grown up around a lot of Mill fans. And yeah. so the back and forth, as soon as this was, this draw was made, there was, well, initially there was a couple of weeks of pretending that Mill fans pretending that they didn't really care that much. And now that it's got to, got to, and he said fight week then match week. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they're, they're really, they're really getting, getting, really getting excited. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it because I think whatever team we do play out, I don't think it will be our strongest 11. I'd be amazed if we played, Gallagher, I would, I would love it, but I'd be surprised if we went whole hog with who's fit. Um, I still think, you know, it's enough to give Millwall a game. And I think I, I'm expected to be happy Saturday afternoon. Uh, I wonder last if, words. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we'll see Ferguson, maybe. I know he got a run out against Tottenham. I wonder if there's a game for him, maybe even changes in... Defend might be a Jack Butland appearance in goal, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Jack, you are our um, well, Millwall researcher on this show. I believe you've been doing some research into the murky world of Millwall YouTube. <laughs> I wouldn't call it murky. <laughs> um, it was, um, yeah, I just thought I'd see what, what sort of output there are and, and name check to Lions TV, um, who I uh, watched post. Um, so that they their last game was um, a 3 2 defeat at Bristol City. And I think they're they're quite realistic. They're they 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 they've had a few seasons now of kind of flirting with the playoffs, but not really then getting into the play. I don't think they got into the playoffs at all, actually. But every year they're they're kind of at this time of year thinking about a playoff run, and they just haven't been able to to do it. So currently they're eleventh um, in the championship, but they're um, seven points off playoffs with two games in hand. So you know. Uh, as every fan does, and look at game in hand, you think you're going to win them, so they're six points. So they're in theory, they're kind of in touching distance of, of the playoffs. Um, and there's a frustration that they they hope that this season would be the season that they would, um, you know, maybe maybe push into that playoff spots and, and get a go at at promotion. Um, as, as Joe said, Jeb Wallace is their kind of standout star. He's very unlikely to feature on Saturday due to injury and, and possibly also this this issue to do with a potential transfer. Um, as ever with Millwall, they like their own. They, they've got a few um, homegrown players in around the squad and the, the star in that sense at the moment is Billy Mitchell, who uh, is a great name given that it's a regular EastEnders character as well. So 
I'm, I'm all for that. Um, and they, they've got a lot of high hopes for him. He sits in the middle of the park and likes, likes to tackle, but I just presume every Millwall player likes to tackle. So, you know, that's just one of the things. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not in the greatest run of form. Um, they don't score that many goals, although their, their striker, Tom Bradshaw, has got five and five at the moment. Um, they're, they're strong at set pieces defensively and, and attacking. So that's an area where we've struggled this season. So we'll need to be, you know, on, on form that day. But yeah, they're, they're, you know, Millwall present the type of challenge that I think we would all expect Millwall to present. You know, they're a decent second tier team at home to a Premier League team who will probably, um, you know, rest a few players. Although, as Joe said, it's not the same as resting players of previous seasons for Palace. Um, so they'll fancy their chances. It's a South London derby's first time we've been there uh, for nearly nine years. So both sets of fans are excited. It'll be a good atmosphere. It's on the TV. Um, but I do think I've written down four names here who I think we'll see. I think we'll see Butland. I think we'll see Ferguson and I hope we see Eze and Delise both get minutes as well. So, um, you know, it's a chance for, for Vieira to, to test the waters with a, with a few players. Um, and I'm excited. I'm going, I think um, it, uh, it's going to be a good cut tie. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, yeah, I think you're, uh, I think you're right. I think it will be a good game. They did, Jesse, have quite a good run in the cup a couple of years ago or actually the last few seasons. They, they've taken a few Premier League scalps at home, actually, in the cup in the last few years. Um, so they'll be hoping for more of a game, obviously. And the, the Palace factor means that that will be, I'm sure the atmosphere will, will be raucous. Um, I'm not going, um, but I think, Jack, you are. Joe, you are as well, I think. Aren't you? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, yeah. are you going? I'll make this one. I mean, it's quite an interesting social experiment. Let's play one of our rivals on a nice, sensible Saturday lunchtime. Let's play the next one on a Friday night. One <laughs> <break apart. laughs> I, I really, it's got, they must be doing some sort of test there. Um, never made sense. But so I think it's in your favour. It's a Saturday lunchtime, guys. So I think your chances of survival are strong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I did see um, ex-Palace player Adam Barrett is their assistant manager. He is. Good yeah. spot. And he obviously was signed by Friedman and Burley around yeah. that time, I think. Yeah. Uh, probably even knows Zaha. Um, yeah. And maybe that's who they mixed up Joe Ward on FIFA, Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did look like Adam Barrett. <laughs> 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 I totally... If, if, their, um, if their squad situation, because I, I haven't seen their latest team news other than the keeper, but they've had to, they've, they've equally been decimated by COVID the last couple of league games, and, but not enough to get games cancelled. So they had to play Coventry away and they had a 15-year-old on the bench. Yeah. I think he's been on yeah. the bench the last two games. He came, I think he came on. Oh, did he really come on the end? And they still on. and they still they still won that game. So yeah. I think it maybe it's just a case of their their sub options are really thin. But yeah, they they they've got to watch rotation themselves, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean it's nice for us to be in a position. I mean, the last time we went there was a very nervy encounter, nil-nil in the promotion season, and a big, a big point actually, as Palace are sort of yeah. scrambling to get in the playoffs. Um, and it's nice to be going back nine years later in a much better position. We're a much bigger club than Millwall. We've been doing very well. We are the big club coming to town, able to rotate and still put out a good team. So it's, uh, it's a. I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, Palace do come away with a positive result, which actually. We kind of need after the West Ham game. It'd be nice to sort of get back on track and get 2022 uh, going again with a nice big win at our rivals. So I'll be watching from home. Uh, there'll be a post-match pod with uh, Dom and Selzy who are also going uh, later on Saturday. Um, and then a main pod yeah, they're next si- week. They're sitting, in the, they're sitting in the nice seats, JD. They're <laughs> sitting in the safe seats. 
Safeties, yeah. <laughs> I think they are. I think they are. So you you guys are the real fans. You guys are in there where the action's going to happen. So uh, let us know how it is. Maybe we'll hear from you next week and you can let us know um, how it went. Uh, but in the meantime, that's it for this week. So thank you guys for joining me. Thank you to our listeners. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, here's to a good 2022 for Palace. Thanks for your support, especially to our patrons, of course, who we love loads. Um, and enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll see you again very soon. Goodbye. When it comes to business travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Oh, sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold meetings or the Michelin dining or the innovative industries that'll make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insight said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at Orlando for Business dot com. Sports Social Podcast Network.